Let's pray together, shall we? Father, once again, we thank you for this morning and time together as a church family and worship. Thank you for time in prayer, time to sing and praise you, and now time to open your word. God, we pray that you would teach us, use this time, be glorified, and pray that you, by your spirit, would just uh, convict us and direct us, help us have open ears and open eyes to all that you want to show us. Uh, We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, uh, welcome. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. So glad that you are with us. This is now uh, week two of our membership focus in the Love Your Church sermon series. And you guys, you came back. You came back. You're here. Look at you. So, hey, week two, it's, um, again, for a few weeks here, it's going to look a little different than normal where we want to talk about uh, church membership and practicing it uh, as a church family, why it's important. And so rather than, again, making you go to a lunch or a couple evenings out uh, to go through a membership class, we just said the easiest way to bring everybody along is by doing this in our main worship service. So for three weeks in a row, we're going to run this like a three-week membership class where everybody can, can see and understand what it means to belong here at FBC. Again, this is something that's been in our bylaws and in our history as a church, but hasn't been practiced in uh, in a number of years, um, from even before when I was here. And so we think it's uh, wise to revive it now. And again, if you're a guest here, and you're like, I did not want to become a member of a church. I just wanted to like sit in today. Don't worry, uh, we're not going to put you on the spot or give you a microphone or initiate you into some strange you know, ritual or whatever. You, we're not going to make you stand out. We just are glad you're here. And you can just listen in to what we believe God is doing here. And so you can just have an ear to that. Um, Again, we talked about last week how we realized this whole idea of membership can sound maybe strange or counterintuitive in a day where we're uh, suspicious of institutions and wary of them. We are afraid of commitment often and want to hold off and keep our options open. And even in that climate, though, actually maybe because of that climate, we think it's actually extra important to have something like local church membership as a tool to help us uh, move forward as a church family. Last week was all spent on the question, why membership, where we really tried to lay a foundation for why we're doing this. If you missed last week, please uh, go back and listen to it. The link's on our website. Actually, if you go to BeniciaFirstBaptist.com slash membership, we're trying to compile all of the various membership documents and resources there. So again, BeniciaFirstBaptist.com slash membership. Go check it out. Because um, we really want, uh, when people take the step to become a member, to have gone through uh, all three weeks of the membership process. So uh, if you missed it, uh, go back and listen to it last week. Otherwise, again, probably Darren, maybe Steve will show up to your house with a computer and say, Watch this now. So to avoid that, just do it on your own time. Uh, Last week was, again, big picture, why membership, like broadly speaking, uh, why it's important to belong to a local church. This week, we're going to narrow the focus a bit and talk about our church specifically, who we are here, our history, what it means uh, to be here, and so that you can make an informed decision if you're deciding, hey, do I want to become a member and, and really uh, commit to this local church, you would know enough to say yes, 
uh, or no, help me, these people are strange and move, move along. So that's what this uh, morning's about. We want to talk a bit about our history, okay, who we are. Um, some of this is going to be review because, hey, we just had our 80th anniversary celebration as a church. Yeah, what's up? Uh, like last month, we did a whole service, right, on like showing pictures. We still have some of the old pictures out in the lobby. You heard from old pastors. Um, we talked a bit about the different seasons in the life of the church and all that God has done here. So some of this, this timeline you might have seen before, it's going to be background. But some of you, it'll be new. And hey, review is never, um, well, not usually a bad thing. So it's okay if it's review. Back in uh, 1942, a small group of believers started meeting uh, here in Benicia and organized the First Baptist Church of Benicia. It was actually October 22nd, 1942, that FBC held their first service. Again, 80 years ago. They first met in an Eagles Hall, and then uh, property was purchased over on East 2nd Street, you know, where Rags and Nations and Baskin Robbins used to be. That corner is where our church uh, was, uh, and they purchased that property, had meetings on the property in a tent uh, for a number of years until they could build a building, which was completed in 1947. Uh, we threw a timeline up here just because it's helpful to visualize some of the key things along the way. Again, it's hard to capture all the, the ministry and exciting things that have happened here in a short little timeline, but we wanted to point to some of the seasons. 1971 was a big year when, when Pastor Marshall Lucky came as a lead pastor, senior pastor here, and led the church faithfully. Um, if you know Philip Wood, uh, his wife Ruth Wood is the daughter of Marshall Lucky, and so it's always a joy to talk to her about her dad and about the early 70s when she moved to Benicia and all that God did here. Um, the church was small and struggling in 1971, but under Marshall's leadership, uh, there was this renewed commitment to, to outreach to reaching the community with the gospel, to even looking around at the building and saying, hey, things are kind of need, we need some paint. We need to trim the bushes out front. It looks like we don't care about our space. So let's actually make it a nice place that people want to be. So there's just some intentionality to reaching out to the community. And actually, it was funny. I talked to Ruth a few months ago uh, about this kind of membership process that we're in now. And she was like, you know, it's interesting. Back in the early 70s, when my dad first got here and we first came, uh, they did the exact same thing. She said, we, we sensed that it was really important, or he sensed that it was important for the church to have this renewed sense of identity and ownership, and hey, we're all in this together. And so they led, even like with people who had been at the church for a long time, they said, hey, we're gonna lead everybody through a membership process. So this was like early 70s, so almost exactly 50 years ago, the church was having these sorts of conversations. I thought it was so interesting that, you know, here we are 50 years later and doing uh, almost the exact same thing, and it's, it's uh, significant. So uh, one of the keys in uh, Pastor Lucky's leadership was the project Move Ahead with God, where in 1978, the congregation voted to sell the Baskin-Robbins property and purchase uh, new land here in Southampton as the area was growing, was in need of a neighborhood church. Uh, but Pastor Lucky died unexpectedly before they moved into the building, and so the church uh, called Pastor David Clark, whom you met uh, last month. He was here. Uh, he was the first pastor to lead in this church and got to share a bit about that season. He led from 79 to 91 um, in this space. And it was fun. Our very own Carlene Hunt and Larry, they were the first couple married in this church. So fun. next time you see them, um, give them a kiss on the cheek or something to say thanks. Um, 
And, uh, but the church had some exciting like discipleship initiatives with kids and youth, uh, boys brigade, pioneer girls, weekly clubs, a lot of people inviting friends there in the 80s. Uh, the church was growing. The church raised enough money to build the friendship room, uh, the fellowship hall that we use uh, so often. We're so grateful for that. Um, and, and the church called their first youth pastor in 1988, Pastor Scott Henning, who came and served as youth pastor. That was a really big deal. Uh, Pastor David Clark left in 91. Pastor Scott then, who was already here, was called to move from youth pastor to lead pastor and stepped into that role and served there until uh, late 2015. So for a long time, and we've just seen just the, uh, how Scott's fingerprints are really all over this place. I'm so grateful for him. We talked about this a lot last month, all that he did here, his heart for people, and how the Red Awning Cafe started in 2009, this outreach to the middle school that is, is still like a real... Uh, talking point in the community that people are aware of. Uh, I talked about just sending the Bergmans as missionaries. Um, but then Pastor Scott stepped down late 2015, and the church went into this year of transition. 2016, there was um, an interim pastor, Mike Anderson, uh, but the church was in a search for the next uh, lead pastor. And it's really encouraging to see and to hear stories of that time, how the people of the church really stepped up and served and led and really sensed that, hey, Scott is gone, and we don't have a new lead pastor yet. And so we, as the people of the church, really want to sense what, what God's doing here. There were new uh, ministry outreach, like Walk Through Bethlehem was started during that season, came out of that. Uh, yeah, and it's still going today. So many of you served in, in various ways, and so really encouraging to see how God used that year in the life of the church. And then in early 2017, uh, the church called me as lead pastor five and a half years ago when I was just a wee babe and stepped into this role. And now we're in this uh, season of ministry that I've really been loving and enjoying and so glad to be here. Uh, we've seen, again, uh, Walk Through Bethlehem continue. We've seen new partnership with Compassion International and, and Foster the City. Uh, we've seen VBS return in 2019 with Pastor Lee's leadership and, and onward uh, on we go. So I share all of this just because it's important for us, right, to know a bit of our, our family history to know a bit of, of our story, to be able to look back with gratitude at all that God has done here before a lot of us were even around. How we are benefiting today from the faithfulness, the giving, the generosity, the prayers, the, the service of so many people that have gone before us. The room we're sitting in, the chairs we're sitting in, were uh, prayed for and bought and paid for uh, by other people. And we get to enjoy uh, this because of the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. And it reminds us then that, that our work and what we're doing today will have ripple effects into the future, right? That there are future generations that will be blessed by our faithfulness, our generosity, our prayers, our service, our outreach. God is still at work in this place and, and everything that we do today has those ripple effects. So we want to know a bit of our story, but it's also helpful to know the next kind of part of this talk is to know a bit of our purpose. Like, wh why, what's the why? Why are we here? Why do we exist? What are we about? Because even in our story, you've heard a number of different pastors and leaders, different names mentioned, different, uh, we've been in different locations, there have been different ministries, different outreach. Um, we have to ask, what's like the unifying thread uh, that, that unites all of it? What's, what's the purpose? Why did the church start in the first place? And why do we still exist today? 
That's the, the why question. I want to just read right from our, our bylaws, because uh, our church constitution outlines, hey, this is the purpose of the church. This is why we're here. And I think those who, whoever wrote this um, did a great job. So it says, the purpose of the church is to glorify God by fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Again, if you want to take a picture of this, you can. Um, also, again, it's on that membership page on our website. We'll have this listed. We'll have hard copies to you guys as well. Um, so the purpose of the church is to glorify God by fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Co- a couple things to point out. First, the first phrase, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. Right? Meaning we're, we're not the center of the story. It's not ultimately about us, 1 Corinthians 10 tells believers, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In fact, if you read through Ephesians chapter 1, which if you have a, a minute to do this afternoon, I would encourage you to do so. It lays out all that God has done in redemption and salvation. It says he, he has blessed us and he chose us and he adopted us and he's redeemed us and predestined us. And here's all that God has done. And throughout the chapter, it has this phrase that it might be to the praise of his glorious grace. It says that we might be for the praise of his glory. God has done all of this, that it might display his glory and his goodness and who he is for all to see. In other words, it's not about us. Actually, it's good for us to realize that God is God and we are not. We flourish when we're set free from this, this burden to try and be our own God and instead worship God for who he is and make it about him. So we are to glorify God by fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Now, some of you are like, hey, I, I, I know that lingo. I have that memorized. I could quote the verse for you. Others are like, that's some real churchy talk. Like, what's the great, the great Camaro, the great what, the great commiserate? What's, what's great? What, what are those words? So let's, let's talk about those a little bit because it's really important that we understand. The great commandment comes from the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, where he was asked what the greatest commandment was Verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Maybe you've heard the story before. A lawyer stands up to test Jesus, trying to trap him, and would ask a question that rabbis would often debate the weightier matters of the law, which is the weightiest commandment. And so Jesus jumps into the dialogue, and he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Priority number one, Jesus says, love God. Be fully devoted to the Lord in all that you do, because he's worthy of it. He deserves our worship and praise. And also, as we just talked about, it's good for us. We flourish when we worship God as God. When we try to be our own God, it crushes us. And we're set free by surrendering to God. And the second command is like it, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love and serve those around you. And you remember Jesus defined 
who our neighbors are, right? Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan when they were like, hey, just exactly who counts as my neighbor? They try to define it really narrowly, and Jesus tells the story, and basically the result is everybody, everybody's your neighbor, even or even maybe especially the people that you don't particularly like. You're called to love. He says all the law and prophets hang on or could be summarized by these two commands, love God and love your neighbor. That's helpful, right? I think that's rather, rather clarifying when, when we ask, well, what should we be about as a church? What's most important for our church family? It would make sense that we would ask, well, what did Jesus say, right? What did Jesus say was most important? If, if Jesus were to lead a seminar or give a, a little TED talk on the most important command in the whole Bible, what would Jesus say? Well, we have it right here. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. Love God, love people. And so as a church, right, as followers of Jesus, we're committed to this. We exist to fulfill the great commandment to help people do this. And again, I know it's maybe in, in style to kind of bash Christians or cast the church in, in a negative light, but I want you to think about how beautiful this call and invitation is. Right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Our marching orders from Jesus at the core of our faith. Jesus says the most important thing, love God, love people, that we are to be people marked by love. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. The Beatles even sang about that. They said it's all you need. It's, I mean, people have caught on, right, that this, whole, this love is pretty central to who we are called to be. And so I want you to compare that. Like our marching orders from Jesus, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love people with this sacrificial, others-focused love. Compare that to maybe uh, other narratives or uh, modern ethics that we have, a, a modern secular ethic, which would tell people, hey, to live a good life, it's essentially what? It's, well, go and pursue your own happiness, right? Be happy. Really, um, you're in charge and life's about you, so do whatever you want. Just try not to hurt people along the way. Right, you tell me, which of those is more beautiful? Which, which of those is better going to lead to human flourishing? Which of those is going to lead to communities and neighborhoods that are uh, honoring to God and good for people to live in? I think it's, it's a beautiful picture of, of how we are called to flourish. It's fair to criticize that we don't always live out those commands, right? We often fail to love God and love people, and for that we should repent and, and instead re-embrace this call from Jesus, but wouldn't our families and our, our neighborhoods and our cities and our institutions and our nation be better if they were marked by this ethic of Jesus? Love God, love people. Wouldn't we see more human flourishing if, if our communities were marked by sacrificial love and li people living for the glory of God and the good of others? I mean, I read this and I was like, this, this is what our world needs, right? Jesus knows what he's talking about. This is this beautiful picture that's going to lead to human flourishing that we should celebrate and embrace. So as a church, we want to be about the great commandment. And next, the great commission. This comes from the end of Matthew, very last verses, Matthew chapter 28. It says this, Then Jesus came to them, this is Matthew 28, 18, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.
end of the gospel, Jesus, after his resurrection, sends his disciples out into the world with a mission. God is a God of mission. We really see this all throughout the Bible. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. What does God do? He, he calls Abram, changes his name to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and says, I will bless you and through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he calls the people to himself with the purpose and the goal of blessing all the nations of the earth. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. We see in John chapter 20, Jesus sends his disciples out, right? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We're sent out on mission. Now here in Matthew 28, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. It's been said that go is two-thirds of God's name. It's very important to him. Really, from, from start to finish, the Bible is this story of God's redemptive mission, how he is moving, calling people to himself, and he's using us, his church, his people, to, to call people to know him, to invite people to find life and salvation in Jesus. We're called to make disciples, to invite people to know Jesus and worship him and him alone. And sometimes that is uncomfortable for us. In fact, if you were to ask, you know, your average uh, person out there about evangelism and their opinion of it, it's usually pretty negative or concerning or it seems maybe pushy or like, is it wrong or uh, condescending to try and invite someone else to believe what you believe? And yet Jesus is pretty clear that's exactly what we're called to do, to go and share the gospel in hopes that people would come to believe in Jesus and know this Jesus that we know. Of course, with gentleness and respect and thoughtfulness, we don't exert control over people, but we uh, do bring invitation. Called to make disciples. And this is the mission of the church, to help men and women come to know Jesus and learn to follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is, right? A learner, a student under a teacher, a follower, one who emulates what his master does. That has to be the heartbeat of who we are, right? To help people follow Jesus. And it's so clarifying, again, because it reminds us a few things. One, we're not just a social club, right? We're not just here to, to you know, get along and love each other and pat each other on the back and encourage each other and show up for one another. We're supposed to do that. It's very important that we love one another, but that's not the end goal. It's just, hey, look inward at each other. Right? There's, there's a mission to call out. Also, we're not just a social action organization where we care for material temporary needs. We feed the hungry, serve at soup kitchens, do good deeds in the community. As important as that work is and how we absolutely should be about good deeds in the world, that's not the totality of what we're about. The central call is about not doing good deeds but sharing good news, right? We have to do both to help all people everywhere hear the gospel and come to worship Jesus and him alone. So the great commandment, the great commission, love God, love people, make disciples. This is central to who we are. And it's an urgent task, right? We are called to follow Jesus, not because he is just a wise teacher who can give us some tips and tricks for a more comfortable couple decades on this planet. He is, of course, the wisest, greatest teacher of all time, but he's not just that. He is a savior. He's the savior. He's the only one who can rescue us from sin and death and judgment. Remember the simple gospel truths that scripture lays out for us. There is one true God, sovereign, 
a creator God, a triune God who upholds and sustains all things, a God who is holy and perfect and glorious in his majesty, and this God loves us. And he created us to know him and to be in relationship with him and to work with him and in helping this world flourish. And yet, we have rebelled against that God. We've turned from him. We ran the opposite direction. We set ourselves up actually as our own authority, our own God, thank you very much. We'll do things our way. We'll determine right and wrong and good and evil for ourselves. Because of that, we've wreaked havoc on God's good world. And we're dead in our sin and worthy of judgment before God. And we'll stand before that God one day and have to give an account of our lives, how we lived. And none of us in that day on our own merits will be righteous. None of us will be declared holy and fit to stand in the presence of God. So we needed a savior. We needed a righteousness that comes not from ourselves. God did not leave us in our sin. He would have been perfectly just to do so, but he didn't. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to bear our sin on the cross, to bear the consequences, the punishment for our sin upon himself, to shed his own blood for our forgiveness, so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life and would cross over from death to life. Isn't that what we're about? We're about death to life, slavery to freedom, going from being orphans to being adopted into the family of God. In Christ, we're redeemed and justified and cleansed and washed and, and adopted and renewed and reconciled and given a new name and a new heart. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says that we at the church are given the ministry of reconciliation, be reconciled to God, that God is making his appeal to the world, it says, through us, to come and be reconciled to God. Come and be in right relationship with God. Come and have your sins not counted against you. How? Because they were placed upon Jesus for whoever believes. So do you see that there's an a real urgency to our message? I mean, we're talking about weighty matters. Because sin is real and hell is hot. And eternity is long. And so we're not here just to make people a little slightly more comfortable on how to live a better life. We're here to point people to the Savior who can transform their hearts and, and save them for all of eternity. And yes, enter into their lives now and make a radical, radical difference, bringing them from death to life. So that's our mission. We're called to make disciples, to share the gospel to love our neighbors. And the text goes on. It tells us, you notice, two things we're supposed to do with disciples. You see it? First, we're to baptize them. So if you're a disciple and haven't been baptized, uh, Jesus says you need to be baptized. If, if you're a disciple and you have not been baptized as a, as a believer, as a profession of faith, you're walking in disobedience to Jesus. He calls us to be baptized. There's, there's no way around it. Mark Dever says, uh, getting wet is the easiest command Jesus gave us to follow. He says, it only gets harder from here, right? <laughs> this one's pretty clear. Like, disciples are to be baptized. Um, so we would love, if that's you, and you're like, if you're a follower of Jesus and have never been baptized as a profession of faith, um, we want to help you take that step. Please put it on your card. We'd love to follow up with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to encourage you. Talk about how important that step is and all that it means 
Um, so we'd love to talk with you there. Um, and also, our disciples are to be taught to obey everything I have commanded. So discipleship is about learning to obey Jesus in all of life. That the whole church would grow to understand the whole Bible and ultimately take the whole gospel to the whole world. So again, I love the simplicity here. If we want to know what we should be about as Christians, as a church, we should look to the words of Jesus and see what he said. And really, again, I just want to be clear. We're we're not like making this up. We're not like the first people who like came up with this and figured it out. Like if you look at any, any solid church, Bible teaching church, and you look at some of their documents, hey, their mission, vision, values, like why are they here? They're, you're going to see the same list or the same language. It might be like crafted in a really slick, clever way. Like one church is like, we exist to, be, to make heaven more crowded. It's like, oh, that's cool. Or, or we uh, exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. You're like, oh, I see, that's good. Um, or we, some, uh, we lead unchurched people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Awesome, love it. Uh, we exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him. Awesome, love it. Uh, we exist to help uh, more and more people orient their entire lives around Jesus. Awesome, love it. Um, not, these are all good things. Uh, but you see, they're all saying the same basic thing, right? Like, we're all saying the same thing. We exist to, to love God and to help people know God and make disciples. Like, it's all, that's, that's the mission. And so um, maybe we could come up with a more snazzy way to say it, but you get, you get the idea. Love God, love people, make disciples. And so next I want to just talk about briefly then how we're going to live that out, like how, how we make that happen, because that's kind of still kind of big picture, like still kind of broad. And so this is where our core commitments come in, where we say, hey, here are the things that the targets we should be aiming at that we think are going to help make this happen. Um, Worship, connect, grow, and go. When we think about what should a disciple look like, what sorts of things should a disciple of Jesus be committed to, we think uh, the biblical answer is these four things. And again, you look at any solid church, and they're going to have this sort of language, or somewhere it might say, again, praise and, and fellowship and using gifts and outreach or reaching the community, whatever. But it's all, it's all worship, connect, grow, go. Everybody, it's the same, same idea. That's just, I think, a helpful fourfold way to, to describe it here. Um, we each need to embrace these individually and as a church. And if you think about it, like in your own life, this is a good metric to think about how you're doing spiritually, like, and how uh, vital or healthy you are, spiritually speaking. And likely, if something's off in your heart or in your world, um, probably one or, or some or multiple of these are going to be missing. And so it's a helpful diagnostic. It's also helpful as a church um, together to look at, hey, how are we living these out? Are we helping people worship? Are we helping people connect in fellowship? Are we helping people grow in their faith? Are we, are we helping people reach out to the community with the gospel? Um, and if we're doing poorly in one of these areas, that's where we want to work and grow and figure out how we can do better. So um, we want to talk a little bit about, again, in this membership class, part two, steps you can take to engage here, opportunities you have to, to be a part of this. Um, first, worship. Right, worship is, as we looked at a few weeks ago, a bigger concept than just what happens in this room, right? Worship, Romans 12, is about whole life devotion to God. Really, it's in everything that we do, seeking to honor and glorify Him. I mean, yet there's a special way that we as a church worship, what we call corporate worship, where we together come together for worship, and we sing together and pray together and hear the Word of God taught together, right? There's a unique expression of worship that we do once a week here on Sunday morning. So that's a big way that we live this out. And I want to show, again, that God deserves our worship, right? He's worthy of it. It is right to worship God, but also uh, worship is good for us. We, we, we truly need it in order to 
flourish. And let me just give you one example. Um, was talking, or heard recently this talk from a pastor and a, a professional counselor. So he's really tied into both ministry world and counseling world. And he does a lot of work with anxiety, people who are dealing with chronic anxiety, acute anxiety, things like that. And he gave this talk on five, the big five, they call it, kind of with his organization, the five big sources of anxiety that they've found that people wrestle with. Uh, the first one is control. We get anxious because we don't have control. We get anxious because we feel like something's out of control or we need more control or something's out of our control. That makes us anxious, right? Anyone in here a control freak? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So we get, a few of you. Um, second, perfection. We get anxious because we uh, think something needs to be perfect. If you're a perfectionist, right, you, you worry that a project or something you're working on, it might be good. It might even be great, but it's not perfect. And you could get, you get dinged or you could get criticized and you feel like if it's not perfect, then you didn't do a good enough job and nothing is ever perfect for you. Anybody a perfectionist in here? A few. Okay. Kristen too. Also both. Two for two. Okay. Um, <clears throat> third, you always feel like you have to have the right answer, right? We feel like we have to know what to say. We have to know how to fix the situation with our words. And we get anxiety when we don't know what to say. And so sometimes we say things that aren't helpful just to have something to say and make us feel better. It doesn't actually help the other person, but it makes us feel better because we said something. And um, we feel like we have to have the right answer. <clears throat> and it causes us anxiety when we don't have it. <clears throat> so, uh, the fourth one is similar. We feel like we have to always be there for people. Like we have to be the one to fix it. Uh, if you're like, into the Enneagram, you're probably like a two on the Enneagram. You're a helper, right? You want to show up. You want to fix it. Um, you feel like you have to be the answer to people's problems, and that really causes people to burn out. Um, and the, the last one is uh, needing people's approval. Okay, so we get anxious when we don't have people's approval or when we're afraid that we're going to be rejected. We fear rejection, so it helps us um, you know, stay quiet rather than speaking out. This is why many of us hate public speaking because we're like, oh gosh, I'm going to be seen, and what if I, uh, I'm not approved of, and what if I'm just, uh, again, everyone sees me for who I am, and it's really scary, and I'm rejected. Okay, so think about those. Um, control, we want control. We feel like we need to be perfect, we feel like we need to have the right answer. We feel like we need to solve everybody's problems and we need to have others' approval. Five big sources of anxiety. And what the speaker said is, is I want you to think about those five. Control, perfection, say the right thing, help people, and have everyone's approval. Who does that describe? So who does that sound like? You put all five of those together. Who fits that description? like, it's God. God is sovereign and in control. God is perfect. God's word is true. He always says the right thing. God is always there and present to help us. And God is the one who ultimately um, is glorious and gives approval to the world. And so he says, we become anxious when we try to be God. When we cross the line and we try and step into God's shoes, we get anxiety and fear, and we worry, because we weren't designed to do God's job. We are radically underqualified for that job. And yet we all, in our different ways, try to be God. We try to control situations, we try to appear perfect, we try to always say the right thing, do the right thing, whatever. So he says the, the key to this is to let God be God. Simply be a human-sized version of yourself. Be perfectly human-sized, he said. And let God be God. Do you realize that's exactly what worship is designed to do? That we would stand before the glory and greatness of God and say, God, you are God and I am not. And I can surrender to you and I can trust you. I'm not qualified for your job. I'm going to trust that you are a good and loving father. So I don't have to be in control. 
And so I don't have to get it right every time because I'm going to stumble. And people can see me for who I am because I have your approval. Do you see? When we let God be God in worship, it frees us to simply be human. That's why worship is so important. One of the reasons. And so corporate worship is a big piece of our life as a church. Next, connect. We need one another. Right? We're not designed to live the Christian life alone. We need fellowship and encouragement and, and people to challenge us and, and correct us and point out things in our own lives that, that we can't see. So often we're blind and deceived to our shortcomings. We need uh, people's help to encourage us and to uh, lift us up when we're down. And so, uh, again, a lot of that can't take place on a Sunday morning, just, you know, brushing past people, rubbing shoulders on a Sunday um, we don't know each other well enough usually to be able to do that. So we have to get um, around the living room with each other, around the kitchen table, and get to know one another well enough to do those things, to pray for each other, to serve each other, to spur one another on. And so we have community groups. And that's, uh, again, the primary place where this connection is going to happen in the life of our church. We're real, you know, going deeper than just surface level, hi, how you doing? We can really know one another. That's why we, we talk about community groups so often. We want to encourage everybody to be uh, in a community group if you're not, because that's where this is going to happen. That's why our picture, you know, it's our cute little picture. Uh, it's a couch, right? It's not a church pew. It's not even these, you know, modern cute little church chairs. It's a couch, because this, it's in, you get it? It's a living room. Where are couches? In the living room. That's where, that's where community and, and connection is going to happen. Um, and so we encourage you to join a community group. That's the next step you can take here to embrace that. Um, lastly, grow. We want, or not lastly, but next, grow. We want you to use your gifts. Or we've talked about this over the past few weeks, how you have a unique way God has wired you, unique gifts that you have been given to contribute to the life of the church and God's work in the world. And so we want to encourage you to, to use those gifts. Often we grow when we are used by God. Maybe when we say yes to an assignment or a role or an opportunity and it scares us a little because we're like, I don't know quite how to do that yet, we grow and God teaches us as we step into it. So we want you to use your gifts and serve. And so the hope is that like throughout the year, you're going to be hearing up front regularly about different opportunities to serve, different ministries where we need volunteers, again, whether it's our kids ministry or student ministry or our coffee ministry or greeting or helping with hospitality and events or helping with the crew setting up and tearing down, leading community groups, uh, helping with our maintenance team. And um, we have a finance team. We have different outreaches that need uh, seasonal help throughout the year. And so the hope is that we would just be uh, willing and ready to step into those opportunities. And so many of you already are. I love just looking out, seeing your faces, knowing how much uh, so many of you do. It's just an important part of us growing. And if you don't know your gifts, you're like, I'm kind of new here. I don't, I've never really looked at how I'm wired uniquely. Again, there's a resource we've been encouraging. It's simple. It's called freeshapetest.com. Free shape test. Um, you can go in there, take this free online assessment that'll, that'll help you. It's not... Uh, perfect, and sometimes those, like, you know, tests aren't, don't always give you the exact right results, but it can be a helpful tool in kind of maybe narrowing down a bit of how God often uses you and how he's shaped you. So if you haven't taken that test yet, I would encourage you to go and do that um, to find out. And then last, uh, go. Again, we've talked about this a good amount, not just good deeds, sharing good news. A lot of that's going to be individual. A lot of that's going to be you with your neighbors and coworkers and in your sphere of influence, in your family. Who has God uniquely put in your life that you are to love and serve and, and share what Jesus has done in your life? Um, you all have connections with people that I don't, right? That the pastors or leaders of the church don't out in, in the world, in your workplace. Uh, you have a, a platform, an opportunity to love people and to talk with people about Jesus 
that others don't, and God wants to use uh, you in that way. Uh, but also we come together for outreach, like the walk through Bethlehem, right? That's to reach our community, to invite our community to come have a really positive experience, hear about Jesus, and hopefully come back uh, and hear more. Uh, that's why we do our uh, VBS, uh, not just for the kids of this church, but to, to reach out to the community, that they might be able to see what church is about, hear about the love of Jesus, and, and plug in. So again, we're not <laughs> just called to stay here in a holy huddle, we're called to, to go and engage the needs of the world. So uh, the kind of close of this membership part two talk is to consider for each of us uh, what next step God might be inviting us to take. Sometimes we hear all of this and it could be maybe nebulous or daunting. It's just so much, right? There's so much it could mean. I want you just to simplify it. Don't feel like you have to take on everything all at once. Just think about what is God calling you specifically to? Simple, right? What's the next step of obedience God's put before you? Again, maybe it's attending corporate worship regularly. Maybe it's finding out more about a community group, letting us know on your card you'd like to hear more. Maybe it's uh, showing up to serve uh, in a meaningful way. Maybe it's praying about how God might use you out in the community. So consider that. Next week is week three, the final week of our little membership talk, and we're going to talk about our doctrinal statement. We're going to talk about theological distinctives. We're talking about leadership structure here. Again, get even more specific uh, with who we are, so don't miss that. And then a reminder, at the end of these three weeks, we'll have a membership like application affirmation document where people who want to make that affirmation of membership will have a chance to um, fill that out, share with us a little bit of your story, um, and, and make that commitment. And then this is all leading up to January, our members meeting, where we'll have um, our annual vote and celebrate everyone who's taken that step of membership. So you'll be hearing more about it in the weeks to come, but that's where we're headed. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll sing some more. Father, thank you for your love. Uh, we celebrated the gospel this morning together, how you have saved us through the work of Christ. We are humbled and grateful uh, before you. And Lord, thank you that you've given us the gift of the local church, that we're not called to to do this on our own, but you've, you've given us a family, a community to follow you uh, together. So would you help us and guide us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.